0: Section 49 of Shakespeare identified. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckel. Shakespeare identified in Edward De Vere by J. Thomas Looney. Dramatic self-revelation, Hamlet, Part Three. That the dramatist had some definite personality in mind for the character of Horatio hardly admits of doubt. The curious way in which he puts expressions into the mouth of Hamlet. Describing this personality without allowing Horatio any part in the play which would dramatically unfold his distinctive qualities marks the description as a purely personal tribute to some living man. Here, however, it is the very exactness of the correspondence of the prototype, even to the detail of his actual name, that makes us suspect the accuracy of the identification we propose. For the introduction into the play of Oxford's own cousin, Sir Horace de Vere, or as the older records give it, horatio de vere seems only explicable upon the assumption that the dramatist was then meditating just before his death coming forward to claim his own name the honours which he had won by his work or at any rate that he had decided that these honours should be claimed on his behalf immediately after his death and that horatio de vere had been entrusted with the responsibility such an assumption has full warrant in the last words which hamlet addresses to horatio certainly the agreement is of a most surprising character and must not be neglected sir horace vere as he is also named had followed the vocation which had been denied the earl of oxford and in becoming the foremost soldier of his day and chief of the fighting veers had maintained the military traditions of the family this was the kind of glory which edward de vere had desired to win an ambition which has left distinct marks in the shakespearean dramas the passage in which hamlet describes the character of horatio ought therefore to be compared with what fuller says of horatio de vere hamlet to horatio since my dear soul was mistress of her choice and could of men distinguish her election hath sealed thee for herself for thou hast been as one in suffering all that suffers nothing a man that fortunes buffets and rewards hast tamed with equal thanks and are those whose blood and judgment are so well commingled, that they are not a pipe for fortune's finger, to sound what stop she please. Give me that man that is not passion's slave, and I will wear him in my heart's core, I in my heart of heart, as I do thee. Fuller's worthies. Horatio de Vere had more meekness and as much valor as his brother, Francis, as for his temper it was true of him what is said of the caspian sea that it doth never ebb nor flow observing a constant tenor neither elated nor depressed returning from a victory in silence in retreat with cheerfulness of spirit sir horace vere was therefore noted amongst his contemporaries for the possession of just such character and temperament as hamlet had ascribed to horatio in terms that have become classic and as horatio was the man selected by hamlet to tell his story The theory we put forth that Shakespeare had instructed his cousin Horatio de Vere to report him and his cause, a right to the unsatisfied, is not without very substantial grounds. The religious situation represented in Hamlet is peculiar. Though Hamlet himself and his father show distinct traces of Catholicism, we do not find him in contact with the institutions and administrations of Catholicism, such as are represented in Measure for Measure and Romeo and Juliet nor do we find the other characters in the play exhibiting the same point of view even hamlet's most intimate friend horatio evidently differs from him in religious outlook hamlet's position therefore is very similar to that which an english nobleman of catholic leanings would occupy in court circles in the days of queen elizabeth on the other hand hamlet is not a catholic of the saintly type his frankness with regard to his shortcomings is as clear and genuine as that shown by shakespeare in the sonnets Hamlet confesses, I could accuse me of such things that it were better my mother had not borne me, just as Shakespeare confesses in his sonnets, You in me can nothing worthy prove, unless you would devise some virtuous lie, to do more for me than mine own desert, and hang more praise upon deceased I, that niggard truth would willingly impart, for I am shamed by that which I bring forth. The applicability of all this to Edward de Vere, so far as the records of him are concerned, is unhappily one point over which hangs no shadow of doubt and from which no dispute is likely to arise nor is the religious faith of hamlet of the steadfast orthodox kind his soliloquies reveal a mind that had been touched by the kind of scepticism that was becoming pronounced in the literary and dramatic circles of the latter half of queen elizabeth's reign this again is representative of the mind of shakespeare as shown it by the plays as a whole for the attenuated catholicism they contain could hardly have come from the pen of one of the faithful all this too is in accord with the shadowy indications that are given of oxford's dealings with religion his profession of catholicism at one time the accusation of atheism against him at another hamlet's cry therefore that the time is out of joint points to something deeper than his personal misfortunes and the tragedy of his private life they are much more likely the outburst of a writer himself suffering from a keen sense of the unsatisfactory character of his whole social environment, one out of rapport with the age in which he lived, an age of social and spiritual disruption incapable of satisfying either his ideals of social order or the poet's need of a full rich and harmonious spiritual life. All this personal dissatisfaction that the poet expresses through Hamlet is quite what was to be expected from one place as was edward de vere in his relations to the men and movements of his day the aversion which hamlet shows toward politicians lawyers and land buyers has no real connection with the plot of the drama it is evidently then an expression of the author's personal feelings toward the times in which he lived to what he calls the fatness of those percy times times which were glorying in being no longer priest-ridden but which he perceived had only exchanged masters and were becoming politician ridden lawyer ridden and money ridden these were indeed precisely the middle-class forces which were rising into power upon the ruins of that very feudalism which shakespeare on the one hand delineates and edward de vere on the other hand personally represents in this again we see hamlet shakespeare and edward de vere are entirely at one in relation to the times in which the play was written hamlet laments in relation to his time oh cursed spite that ever i was born to set it right and yet the setting right has not been achieved though three centuries have passed away since shakespeare penned his lament still if the new order for which the prophetic soul of shakespeare looked is to arise at last through a reinterpretation and application to modern problems of social principles which existed in germ in medievalism then shakespeare in helping to preserve the best ideals of feudalism will have been a most potent factor in the solution of those social problems which in our day are assuming threatening proportions throughout the civilized world the feudal idea which we once more emphasize is that of noblesse oblige the devotion of the strong to the weak the principle that all power of one man over his fellows whether it rests upon a political or industrial basis can only possess an enduring sanction so long as superiors discharge faithfully their duties to inferiors in this task of putting right hamlet or shakespeare who we believe was edward de vere through the silent spiritual influences which have spread from his dramas will probably have contributed as much as any other single force not as an important part of our argument but as strengthening the feeling of connection between the play of hamlet and the events in england at the time when it appeared the rising of the citizens of elsinore with the cry laertes shall be king is suggestive of the rising in london under essex though it must not be omitted that thomas cecil who in some respects resembles laertes was chiefly instrumental in putting down the essex rebellion again the change not only in the occupants of the throne but also the dynasties of denmark the election lighting on fortinbra from the neighbouring country of poland is suggestive of a similar change in england when consequent upon the royal nomination england received the first of a new dynasty from the neighbouring country of scotland in this case fortinbra would be james the first and oxford's officiating at the coronation might appear as an equivalent to hamlet's dying vote he has my dying voice for Oxford would probably be, of those who expected from the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, more sympathy with what his mother represented than James actually showed. A comparison of the different editions of Hamlet in respect to these political matters might disclose interesting particulars. In view of all that is known of Edward de Vere and of Shakespeare as revealed in the sonnets, no other words contained in the great dramas surpass, either in significance in relation to our problem, or in power of moving appeal, than the parting words which hamlet addresses to horatio the more they are dwelt upon the less appropriate do they appear to the fictitious hamlet and the more do they sound like a real heart-wrung cry from the dramatist himself for reparation and for justice to his memory put edward de vere quite out of the question remember only that shakespeare in sonnets written years before the drama had spoken of himself as a man living under a cloud of disrepute beyond anything he had merited desiring for himself nothing more than to pass from life's scene in such a way that his name would drop from the memory of man then read the dying words of hamlet had i but time as this fell sergeant death is strict in his arrest oh i could tell you but let it be horatio i am dead thou livest report me and my cause aright to the unsatisfied oh good horatio what a wounded name things standing thus unknown shall live beyond me if ever thou didst hold me in thy heart absent thee from felicity awhile and in this harsh world draw thy breath in pain to tell my story the rest is silence if therefore hamlet may be regarded as an indirect dramatic self-revelation of shakespeare so evidently do these dying words link themselves on to explicit statements in his direct poetic self-revelation that they may be accepted without any way straining a point as a dying appeal of shakespeare whoever he may have been that his true story should be told and his name cleared of the blemishes of that vulgar scandal had stamped upon it the change of attitude was justified by what he had accomplished in the interval he was no longer the record of a wasted genius sitting apparently in idle cell he had achieved something which altered the whole aspect of his title to honour he had created and offered as an atonement for any shortcomings of which he had been guilty and who indeed has not the most magnificent achievement that english literature can boast one of the three greatest achievements in the literature of the world it is impossible to resist the conviction then that these dying words of hamlet's were intended for some friend of shakespeare's who from some cause or other has fallen short in the discharge of the trust with which he was honoured though the publishing of the sonnets and of the folio editions of Shakespeare may have been a partial discharge of this trust. Although these things are applicable to any Shakespeare, and any man to whom they will not apply is ipso facto excluded, it would appear from all claim or title in the matter, it is to Edward de Vere alone, so far as we can discover, that they can be made to apply fully and directly. When, then, we find that this particular play, although appearing unauthentically in a curtailed form the previous year, was published much as we have it now in the year of his death, and then, although no further revision appeared for eighteen years, an edition appeared containing alterations upon which he had evidently been engaged at the time of his death, we can read in the closing passages of the play nothing less than a final call for justice, and for the honour he had merited by his work. For three hundred years actors have uttered and audiences have listened to these tragic and pathetic passages never dreaming that they came out of the inmost soul and the bitter experiences of the writer their deep personal significance we claim to be making known now for the first time and we trust that our own imperfectly accomplished labours may achieve something toward winning that redress for which our great dramatist has so dramatically appealed the whole story of his life as he may have wished it to be told will probably never be known to reinterpret the known facts by the light of the shakespearean literature in which work we have made the first essay will doubtless yield larger and truer results when others have taken up the task there is also the possibility that new data may be unearthed and this together with the gathering together and unifying of facts scattered through diverse records of other men may bring to light the things standing yet unknown which were in his mind the greatest of the facts standing thus unknown is that which is now announced and its substantiation will go further toward healing his wounded name than any other single fact that may in future be laid bare. On review of the contents of this chapter, it will hardly be denied that the number of the particulars and the general unity of the plan, which bring the greatest Shakespeare masterpiece into accord with the life and personality of the man whom we selected, on quite other grounds, as the probable author of the play, is not the least remarkable in the series of correspondences that have appeared at every step of our investigations. End of chapter 16